Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you're here to join us in the study of God's Word. The Apostle Paul has shown the Philippians what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord always by pointing to his own person. He has shown the church in Philippi what it takes to be a congregation that is marked by unity by pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. He is placed in front of the minds of the Philippians and eventually their own eyes, living models of men who are willing to live up to this call and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul cautioned them not to pattern themselves after the enemies of the cross of Christ. He has shown them that if they're willing to do things God's way, that they can be confident that God will provide them with all that they need in a peace that surpasses all understanding. And he has revealed to them the secret to living out a contented life. Paul's been able to share this and so much more with his beloved friends in Philippi. And now, as he brings this epistle to a close, we'll see that he's bringing things around full circle. Paul opens up this letter in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1 by saying, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. <clears throat> and as we can see from these verses, the Philippians aren't just a group of bystanders cheering Paul on from the sidelines, nor are they an offshore bank account that just sends Paul some cash when he's in need. No, they're much more than that. They're partners with him in the gospel. And this idea of partnership is one that we should all be able to easily understand. Each of us, at some point in our lives, have partnered with someone. Maybe it's been in business, in marriage, or for the younger ones in the audience, maybe even a sports team or a project at school. We all understand and have been in some sort of partnership at least one point in our lives. And for myself, my longest standing partnership has actually not been my marriage with Victoria. It's been my business partnership. This year marks 15 years that me and my friends have been my friend have been business partners, and if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that a partnership will go best when you're united upon your goals and how to get there. If two separate people are each looking to steer the same ship in different directions, it'll be catastrophic to each of them and everyone else that's involved. And in the day-to-day -day rhythm of any partnership, there are many things that come into play. Open and clear communication, the realization that your approach is not always the best to things, an open-mindedness to hear and listen to what other people are saying, 
mutual trust and respect, and maybe the most basic, but still the hardest thing to do, having the other person's back. For most of you, I would assume that your longest standing partnership would be your marriages. And I think it's safe to say that if there's one aspect of marriage that will test your partnership, it would be raising children. And it's all too easy to see from the outside the parents who are clearly not on the same page and who are trying to each guide and direct their kids down different paths. The parents are frustrated because instead of helping each other, they're fighting against each other. And the kids are frustrated because they're getting two sets of instructions. All in all, it's a pretty miserable situation for everyone that's involved. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the parents who are clearly aligned in where they are heading. They have the same goals, the same focus, and they are working with each other rather than working against each other. And granted, they might not always have the same approach, and there obviously needs to be a willingness to meet in the middle on certain points, but they're at least headed in the same direction, and they're headed there together. These parents are pulling together their resources, skills, time, and energy all into one pot and then drawing from it when there is a need. In this, this second example, is the type of partnership that Paul is commending the Philippians for having with him and with each other in the church body. He knows that they have done well with this in the past, and he urges them to continue standing firm in one spirit. He tells them to make his joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in one spirit, intent on one purpose. And Paul opens up his letter to the Philippians, rejoicing that they have been his faithful partners in the gospel. And now, as he brings it to a close, we will see how God intends for his resources to flow in a gospel partnership. If you're not there with me already, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So reads the word of the living God. And as we've seen from Philippians chapter 1, by taking a look back, Paul begins his letter by telling the Philippians that his every remembrance of them is marked by joy. 
and that he offers prayer to God every time he thinks of them. And both of these things are true because they have partnered with Paul. They are participating with him in the gospel, chapter 1, verse 5, and they are fellow partakers of grace with him, chapter 1, verse 7. And now as we read in our text this morning from chapter 4, we see that Paul closes his letter by telling the Philippians that they have done well to share with him in his affliction, chapter 4, verse 14, and that no church shared with him the matter of giving and receiving after he left Macedonia, but them alone, chapter 4, verse 15. And these words describing the Philippians as partners and partakers who are willing to share with Paul in the gospel are all in the same word family and share the same root word, koinos, meaning common or communal. And as we'll come to see this morning, it's no accident that Paul employs these words on each bookend of his letter. And two weeks ago, we saw that the closing of this letter is united by Paul's thankfulness for the gift that the Philippians had sent to him. And this section starts out in verse 10, where he makes mention of the gift. Verses 11 through 13 serve as a clarifying comment in regards to why he is thankful and rejoicing. And now, in verse 14, Paul gets back to the topic at hand. He writes, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And we see here one aspect of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel with Paul. They were willing to share. And not just once either. We see that Paul also commends them for sharing with him in the past. Verse 15. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. And he continues on in verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And Paul cites here at least three gifts from the Philippians in the past, and now this current gift that Epaphroditus had, to deliver, had just delivered to him. And in regards to this most recent gift, he lets them know that they have done well to share with him in his affliction. And to our ears, hearing that a gift allowed them to share in his affliction doesn't make a whole lot of sense. For if you take this same scenario and flash it forward into day and plug it into our own lives, for most of us, it would be hard to understand how sharing some of our stuff would allow us to share in another's troubles. But when we get a firmer grasp upon the economic status of the Philippian church, it will help us to better understand what Paul is saying here. And we can look to the book of 2 Corinthians and get some insight on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. <clears throat> now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church here. And the churches in Macedonia would be Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. That in a great ordeal of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And if you read through all of chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians for yourself, you'll obviously have a better understanding of why Paul is speaking these words to the Corinthians. A quick overview is that the apostles are raising a collection for poor Christians in Jerusalem. And previously, the wealthy Corinthian church had expressed that they were both ready and desiring to add to this collection. Well, a year had since passed, and it seems like the Corinthians got cold feet. Paul isn't commanding them to give, but he reminds them of their own eagerness to be part of this ministry. And he also cites the examples of the poor Macedonian churches giving beyond their means. And he puts this example in front of the Corinthian church so that they might finish doing what they had set out to do. And while we won't be studying 2 Corinthians this morning, this description of the Macedonian church's economic status helps us to better understand what Paul is saying about the Philippians, who resided in Macedonia. They weren't rich in giving out of their excess. No, but rather, in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were poor in being afflicted themselves, but still they generously gave. As one commentator puts it, the Philippians' offering actually hurts because they are going without so that Paul can go without a little less than he has been. And this is why Paul can say that they're sharing with him in his affliction. In order to provide him with money, they would each now be short on cash. In order to provide him with food, there would now be a little less on their plates each meal. Simply put, their gift created a deficit in their own basic supplies. And once again, to us, this type of sharing most likely sounds foreign to our ears, or we may even think that it sounds foolish. Yet, make no mistake here, friends, this is the clear biblical description of how the early church functioned. We're going to take a look at a couple different texts. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Flip over a page to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them all. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. We'll see another reference to this. It says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, 
but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And finally, if we take a look again to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 13 through 15. Paul saying to the Corinthians, For this, and he's referring to your gift, is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. And to help get this point across, he references an Old Testament passage and says in verse 15, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. And while we could spend our entire morning and afternoon looking at cross-references and examples from the Old and New Testament, that this is how God intended for his people to live, I have no intention of trying to belabor the point. The early church was willing to share their belongings with one another, and they were willing to do so because they understood how God intended for his church to function. It's not just a bunch of random parts and people with no unity. No, he intended for his church to be one body. That body has one head who is Christ. And as we've seen any number of times in Philippians, that body is to be united together for one purpose. And the Philippian church is partnered with Paul in the gospel. And when they heard that Paul, who was a member of their body, was suffering, they didn't turn a blind eye and leave him on his own. They shared with him. And when we begin to see God's church, both local and global, in this same light, as one body, it will help us to both see and respond to the needs within the church just as the Philippians did. For is this not how each of us would respond to a need within our own individual bodies? If you trip over something and blow out your left ankle, there's no way that you'd be unwilling to support more of your own weight upon your right leg in order to give the hurt ankle time to heal. You wouldn't just tell your left ankle to suck up the pain and then just keep using it like you normally would. That makes no sense. The church in Philippi properly understands how God's church is supposed to function. Paul thanks them for their past and present sharing with him in verses 14 through 16 and then says this in verse 17. Philippians 4, 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. If we take back a look back to verse 11, we'll see that this verse is structured very much the same way as verse 17. Not that I speak from want, for, in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but. And he uses both these verses to make sure the Philippians don't misunderstand what he's trying to get across. He's not seek, speaking from want, and he is not seeking the gift itself. The Philippians are his partners, not just his piggy bank, and he needs them to know that what he's after is not what he is receiving from their gift, 
but actually what they are receiving. He says as much in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And this is one of those scenarios where it's almost fun to imagine how the Philippians would have responded here the first time this letter was read aloud in their congregation. The accountant in the audience hearing this would be scratching his head going, yeah, that's not how that works. Or the old guy thinking, Paul definitely has his theology on point, but his mathematics are a little suspect. And this, this is where an earthly perspective of this verse will land you. Because as we all know, 10 minus 5 equals 5, not 15. Yet we see Paul here claiming just the opposite. That their gift, which should be a deduction to their account, is actually an addition. And if you're confused here as well, it's because you're only thinking of one account, the temporal one. The Philippians pooled their resources together and drew out of one account to share their gift with Paul. And while this one undeniably would have gone down, there's another one that just went up. As John Chrysostom said, they are giving temporal gifts and receiving spiritual And understand, church, that this is not the prosperity gospel. Neither the Bible nor I are attempting to manipulate you into giving to the church or those within the church with a promise that if you do so, then God will rain down upon you material blessing, and by the end of the week, you'll be swimming in cash. No, what we see here is the gospel, the one and only gospel, which tells you to surrender your life over to Christ and to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the same truth that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 19 after he's asked a question by Peter. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19, verses 27 through 30. Nineteen twenty-seven through 30. Then Peter said to him, Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You, the twelve disciples, also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, now that includes us, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And this is what Paul is seeking. Not what their gift will gain him now, but what it will gain them in eternity. And continuing on in our text, we come to verses 18 and 19, which say, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
And the first words that we see here in verse 18 are, I have received everything in full. Or from the ESV, I have received full payment. And this would have been written on a bill to mark that everything was paid in full in the days of Paul. And Paul's use of these words here implies that the Philippians had now leveled the playing field in the matter of reciprocity. We know that they have shared multiple times with Paul when he was in need, and apparently Paul had been able to return the favor. But now after this last gift from Epaphroditus, their bill has been paid in full. More than that, actually, we can see in the text that he has an abundance. They had paid off their debts, so to say, and the pendulum has now swung to his side. And culturally speaking, this would have put Paul in quite the pickle, for he has no means to repay them because he's currently in jail, and there's a good possibility that he might be executed, which would make it pretty difficult to repay them as well. So what is Paul to do here? The Philippians had given to him out of their poverty. They willingly shared with them in his affliction, and they gave him an abundance, as we can see in verse 18. He is amply supplied. And they sent one of their own a great distance to hand deliver this gift, and their messenger almost died along the way. Yet Paul is unable by himself to share with them. And it would seem that Paul is all out of options, and the Philippians are going to be left stuck up a creek with no paddle. But it's here in our text that Paul introduces a third party into the mix. This person has been involved the entire time, just far too often people forget about him. Paul brings God into the equation. From our text, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul has received everything in full that they have sent. But look how it is that he labels their gift. It's from them to him, yet he describes it as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And this is where some of that legwork that we did earlier in looking at the way God intends for his resources to flow throughout his church comes into play. For if we were to think of his church as just a bunch of individual parts and not a body, or if we were to think about our stuff belonging only to us and not to God, then we'll never be able to understand what Paul is saying here. But when we realize that God is the one that has supplied us with all of the things that we have, and he has done so not solely for our own benefit, but for the benefit of his kingdom and his church, then we can start moving in the right direction. The Philippians pooled together their resources that God had given them. And yes, while they did place their gift into the hands of Paul, we can see here how this transaction appeared in the eyes of God. It was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. As commentator David Garland puts it, Their gift to God is a sweet-smelling sacrifice, and God is the one who will reciprocate. Look with me again at our text, Philippians chapter 4, 
verse 19. Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Philippians had shared with Paul more than once providing for his needs. And now it's Paul's turn to share, but he can't. Fortunately, though, he knows someone who can. He lets his friends know that my God will supply your needs. God had used the Philippians to supply Paul's needs, and Paul is confident that even if he himself is unable to give the Philippians what they need, that his God is more than capable for providing for the needs of his own people. And just in case the Philippians were questioning how God could afford to repay them, Paul reminds them of the resources that are available to the Lord. How will God supply the needs of his people? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Matthew Henry captures the heart of this matter beautifully when he writes, The Philippians supplied Paul's needs according to their poverty, and God shall supply theirs according to his riches. Now, are we beginning to see the full picture here, church? In God's economy, 10 minus 5 can somehow equal 15. In God's economy, you're able to receive something by giving. In God's economy, his resources don't just flow back and forth between his people on a two-way street. They flow forth from him to his people and then are distributed on a three-way street. And this is how the early church functioned. The Philippians understood this and they actually went above and beyond what was expected of them. They not only gave according to their own means, but they actually gave beyond their own means. And Paul knows the beating that this would have put on their personal accounts. Yet he also knows the profit that will be added to their heavenly accounts. He knows that because of the Philippians' generosity, his needs have been met. But he also knows that God is the one who supplied them with the supplies to supply him. So he thanks them and he rejoices to the Lord. And he acknowledges that while he might be unable to reciprocate their gift, he is confident that his God will supply all their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul, after having written and thought on God's glorious provision, now offers praise to God in verse 20. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's saying, glory to the Lord who provides for his people according to his own riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Glory forever and ever to him. In church, it is to this end that God does all things for his own glory. So let's make sure that we're living up to what he would have us to do. And after this, Paul moves into the closing lines of his letter in verses 21 through 23. And we can take notice that these words are not some cheap words that Paul mindlessly stamps at the end of each of his letter. No, they're both relevant to the topic at hand and to every moment in our Christian lives. Verses 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And after having spent so much time in this letter talking about the unity that the Philippians are to have as a church, Paul now offers a greeting to and from all the saints who are in Christ. Some of these people would have never met each other before and they never would meet each other. Yet he knows that there's a bond between them that's stronger than any other cord among men. They're held together by the bond that comes from belonging to the household of God. And Paul greets them as family because, indeed, they are. Offering his greeting to each one individually and then letting them know that those who are with him say hello as well. And then he comes to verse 23. And on each end of this letter, as is the case with most of his letter, he places the grace of God from beginning to the end. He opens up in, chap- in verse 2 of chapter 1 by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he closes here by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace to and grace be with. And church, as we reflect upon all that we've heard this morning and throughout the book of Philippians, realize that this is what makes all of these things possible. Paul's rejoicing the Philippians giving, our ability to be here this morning offering praise to the Lord, it's only because of God's amazing grace, without which we would still be lost and wandering away from him. And as we think about the Philippians' willingness to share what God had supplied them with and their partnership with Paul in the gospel, may we each also take note of what God has given to us personally and corporately as a church. May we recognize that he's not given us any of these things for our own glory, but for his. And may we realize that while we'll be able to do a lot for the Lord on our own, we'll be able to do so much more for him if we pull together all that he's given us and partner with him and each other in the gospel. And may we never forget why the Philippians gave so generously and what allows us to do the same. It's only because of the grace of God in our lives. For why do we give? It's because we have first received. Why do we love? It's because he has first loved us. May we each learn to give back to him as richly as he has given to us. And may we care less about our temporary accounts and more about our eternal ones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Just thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for just uh, speaking to us and giving us what we need to grow closer to you and uh, just be more aligned with what's in your scripture, Lord. Please help us to recognize the, how you distribute your gifts, Lord, and how we are to use them as your people that all of these things come from you, that we would recognize that, and when you would have us to use them, uh, we would use them, Lord. Whether they be uh, money, food, supplies, or time, or energy, that we'd just be willing to give it all back to you, and we would recognize 
what allows us to do so. Uh, it's only by your grace, Lord. We thank you for that and for each of us hopefully being able to see it in our lives, in the past and in the present. Thank you for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose, come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue.